Thank you for listening to the European Centre for Development Policy Management's ECDPM's Talking Points Audio. I am Emily Barker, Communications Assistant. In this clip, Head of Strategy Jean Bessoit discusses the advantages of political economy analysis. If you have any thoughts, leave your comment below. Well, as a foundation, uh, we have been uh, involved uh, with DEFCO in uh, developing uh, in the past years the work on political economy analysis as one of the tools the Commission wants to use more. Uh, so we have been uh, uh, elaborating with them uh, aspects of the methodology and then we had also the chance to be uh, part of one of the practical exercises of political economy analysis at country level in Senegal at the request of the delegation. So as a foundation you could say that we uh, yeah, we have been uh, really privileged to be part of this adventure to see how political economy analysis can really help the EU uh, to have uh, better strategies, better response strategies, better cooperation and above all better results. And so in this context we were a bit surprised then and not surprised <laughs> to see a, a message on capacity for death that management had decided uh, to rethink uh, the whole approach uh, to political economy analysis. Bon, the communication was a bit difficult because in the beginning it was uh, the message was we will discontinue the political economy analysis approach as tested out until now. But then the message changes, but uh, so it's not absolutely clear what uh, what is now the position of the management on this uh, tool. But uh, bon. It is clear that there are questions about political economy analysis and so in that context uh, I think a good debate is always useful uh, because uh, maybe the first point I would like to emphasize is that indeed uh, political economy analysis is a complex thing. So uh, we should take stock uh, systematically on how this instrument uh, works uh, because let's be honest what are we trying to do with the political economy analysis. Uh, it is an analysis that complements existing tools of analysis, governance analysis, but goes much deeper into trying to understand why reforms succeed or why they often fail, despite a lot of national plans, a lot of formal commitment of uh, partner countries, despite a lot of money, European Union, that reforms don't uh, lead to real results, to real change. So the political economy analysis seeks to uh, look behind the facade uh, of um, the formal commitments, the formal institutions, the beautiful plans, and to understand where change comes from. Uh, uh, what are the actors that push for change? Uh, what are their incentives? Uh, what are the power relations that make uh, reforms possible or not? That's political economy analysis all about. Political analysis, but also the economic background of all these uh, changes and uh, of reforms. So it's a combination of a political analysis and uh, a look at the economic incentives, the economic structures that uh, make reform possible or impede it. So yes, 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 looking behind the facade is a delicate thing. Uh, you are not in a world with a lot of certainties. Uh, you see a lot of things, uh, positive things, you also see negative things. So it's a, it's a, these are troubled waters in which you then try to find your way. Um, and hence it's certainly a, a good thing that uh, the EC and now that it is three years into uh, trying to work out uh, how it can use political economy analysis in its work in delegations that it looks back and takes stock but from there to immediately 
apparently say, okay, let's discontinue that. That was a bit for us a surprise. Uh, why? Why was it a surprise? Well, uh, first of all, because it's quite recent. I mean, it's only three years that they have been developing this methodology. Uh, it has been tested in only six countries. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, because there was a stock-taking seminar in the EC in March, each of these six test cases were uh, positive. Uh, the delegations were satisfied with the results. Uh, so uh, it's, it's not very clear why they suddenly uh, want to uh, stop this while the first tests have certainly not been uh, a bad experience on the country. Uh, so it's, it's maybe good to uh, extend a bit the debate and, uh, and the stock-taking process and not limit it to the management, but try to have a much broader discussion on what we really have learned from these sex cases, um, involving the delegations who were part of it, involving also the units who participated in it. I think that would be a positive thing. So uh, yes, rethinking political economy analysis, but uh, the stock-taking, uh, yes, let's do it, but let's do it in a participatory way. Uh, this is too important an exercise maybe to be only uh, done at the level of the management. So that was the first element of surprise, eh? why uh, stop something that is so recent. Uh, the second element of surprise was a bit um, the, the growing need for this kind of analysis. You cannot go to delegations now or to seminars or you cannot read studies or evaluations and each time again, each time again this recommendation comes back, we need to go deeper, deeper into understanding the local context, deeper into understanding the drivers of change deeper into understanding the incentives that will push elites to reform. Uh, we need to understand also what drives civil society, what drives local authorities, how all these actors relate to each other. So we need to understand more the power relationships. Uh, and if we don't understand this, well, our money and our plans and our reforms and our programs may not land on fertile soil. So uh, the cry for this kind of analysis is huge. Uh, everywhere you look, everything you read, so that's the second element of surprise. Eh? Uh, uh, how do you reconcile apparently the growing need of field people to understand in which arenas they move around, what they try to do, and how they can really achieve results by integrating better these power and political dimensions? Uh, this is really what uh, the, the, the frontline actors, especially the delegations, more and more want. And yet, uh, here, we somehow seem to say, yeah, but we have to rethink it, maybe we have to discontinue it, maybe we... So it's a bit difficult to understand also here how they will then respond to the needs, the growing needs of practitioners in all possible fields of cooperation. Uh, and the third, the third element of surprise, uh, certainly in the first communication that they issued, is that they say, yeah, yeah, but we will continue to do a political economy analysis, but that's in fact the core business of the staff of the delegations. So uh, they can do it, they can be trained to do it, so we can do this internally. Uh, we don't need uh, external support for this. Uh, yeah, the issue of external support, uh, of course, if you can do it in-house, that's, that's better. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, but we all know the realities in which now donor agencies work. Uh, they have less and less staff. That is also the case for the European Union. The workloads are very high. People have to spend a lot of time uh, on administration. And it's very difficult if you are yourself 100% working day and night on cooperation issues to be detached also to do this kind of analysis. So uh, yes, if the delegations can do it, but uh, the incentives uh, to really make sure that the staff can do it uh, are not necessarily there. Uh, it's not a question of competence. Of course, people now 
about the politics of a country and uh, are interested in all these aspects, they work there. But it's a different exercise to go deep into trying to understand uh, the dynamics of these different reform processes. That's more sophisticated analysis, requires time, requires dialogue. So uh, can this be done at delegation level? But it's a surprise that uh, it is assumed that the capacities and the time is there to do, to do it uh, internally. Uh, you could argue that this is not necessarily um, something taken for granted. In this clip, ECPM's head of strategy, Jean Bessoit, discusses why he was not surprised that the EU might discontinue political economy analysis. These are the surprises, but uh, on the other hand, as a foundation, we were also, in fact, not really surprised that um, there was some nervosity about political economy analysis and that management at a certain moment in time says, okay, uh, let's maybe uh, stop, <laughs> let's maybe uh, do it in a different way. Uh, we were not really surprised for two main reasons. First of all, uh, since decades, uh, the aid sector has been struggling to integrate the political dimension. Uh, Thomas Carotas, uh, a uh, democracy expert, has just written a book about this. Development confronts politics, the, an almost revolution. And the whole book is about this. How can donors work in a more political way? Do they really want to do this? Are the incentives there to do it? His main thesis is that yes, politics is more and more visible now in cooperation, but that at the end of the day, very often donor agencies prefer apolitical, technocratic approaches um, about development goals, and they find it very difficult to fully integrate that political dimension, because of course it changes quite fundamentally the way you do uh, your work, you do your business, uh, and he uh, explains that, for instance, uh, there are of course all kind of vested interests and that may uh, not be so easy to reconciliate with a political approach to cooperation. You also have to spend a lot of money and we have to disperse, we all have to disperse. Eh? So this is another disincentive to really integrate politics because if you really, for instance, after a political analysis conclude that a certain government is absolutely not willing to change, and you have this in an independent analysis, uh, sophisticated analysis, yeah, then of course it's become much more difficult to grant this government large amounts of money, including in the form of general budget support. So it can also limit your scope of action, especially in terms of disbursement. And there are many other reasons why politics, the integration of politics in development cooperation, uh, makes uh, agencies, donor agencies in general, and in particular the European Commission, a bit nervous. Uh, that was, by the way, also clear in the communication and capacity for DEF on why they wanted to discontinue political economy analysis, because it's very risky. Yeah, of course, it's, it's a risky thing to, uh, to analyze and to work uh, on the basis of these political dimensions. So there was a kind of a disincentive uh, to, to fully integrate this. Uh, that is a systemic problem that is not unique to the Commission, but it's there, donor agencies in general. And by the way, that's why the MDGs and that's the best example, and the development mantra for more than uh, a decade uh, has been uh, largely an apolitical thing. Uh, uh, human rights were not mentioned, governance was very indirectly mentioned. This is a good example of how uh, the development community uh, and politics is not an easy marriage. So that's, in this sense it's not a surprise uh, to see that uh, political economy analysis may be a short-lived experience in the EEC, at least in the form we knew it until now. And the second reason is, of course, uh, that uh, 
political economy analysis also confronts donor agencies with their own political economy analysis. That was very visible in Senegal. Uh, all the actors that were interviewed in the framework of the political economy analysis said yes, yes, this is a very good idea. Let's together try to better understand why reforms in this country systematically uh, don't get to the results we all want to achieve, including donors. But and then they all asked the question, but will you also look at the political economy of the donor agencies here, of the interest of the lead donors, the interest of the European Union, uh, all the aspects uh, that, that drive us to do cooperation with these countries. So that's also, of course, not evident to integrate this in cooperation processes. Uh, your own interest, your own incentives, uh, your own um, uh, incoherences maybe, inconsistencies, which are all part of life, you all know it's there. But to integrate this formally into your cooperation process is also something that uh, donor agencies don't necessarily like. But it's inevitable. The political economy analysis also looks at the interest of the European Union and the member states. So, yeah, that's also sometimes things that you prefer not to <laughs> put too formally on the table. So that's the second reason why we don't believe it's really a surprise that this ex uh, type of exercise, political economy analysis, uh, has a difficult start. It's, it's quite logical. It's difficult anyway to recapitulate. It's difficult anyway. It's risky anyway. Uh, it confronts you with all kinds of dilemmas. Uh, it prevents you generally then to continue with the classical cooperation because you see it's much more complicated to, to really uh, support reforms. Our illusions maybe also a bit, a bit less, eh, that we can change things and that we can buy reform, for instance. So in many ways, political economy analysis is looking into the mirror, eh, uh, into the mirror of what you are really doing in a given country. So that kind of analysis can be quite disturbing. Eh? Um, well, that is the aspect of why it was not so much a surprise that at least there was a kind of a, a temporary uh, <laughs> breakup maybe of, of this instrument. In this clip, ECDPM's head of strategy, Jean Besoit, discusses what the future might hold for political economy analysis and what discontinuation of the methodology might mean. Uh, so, a last point maybe that we would like to emphasize, so what next, what will happen now? Um, well, I think it's important to avoid a battle between believers and non-believers of political economy analysis and that would not be very productive. Uh, as I said, this is a complex exercise and it's always good to take stock and to learn, but let's learn collectively and see how this can be a good tool and there are limitations of course. So it's good to be prudent, but uh, the important point is to jointly uh, share experiences and jointly in a participatory way see how this tool can be improved um, and to do it in an open and transparent way. I think that's very important. And then uh, maybe about next, well I think the, if uh, you look at the realities in the field of cooperation in 2013, what do you see? You see that whether you like it or not, it is already becoming much more political. If you add up all the communications the Commission has issued the last five years, they all go in the same direction. We want more political cooperation, we emphasize more democracy, governance and human rights, our budget support will be linked to these political aspects, we want to work with civil society as actors of governance, we want to empower local authorities, you name it. You cannot find one communication or it is full with this kind of words that uh, it's more political, we have to look at actors, and these actors have interest, we have to navigate in this, in this political world and then push our own values. So in, in other words, all these communications are saying the job of cooperation is also a highly political job. That's the reality. And then 
uh, if you agree with this analysis, then of course you need also the tools to be a political player. Uh, it would be uh, an absolute error to, on the one hand, uh, emphasize in all the communications that for cooperation to be effective, for results to be achieved with all these millions of euros in a time of crisis. Uh, in difficult environments often that you need to be more political. Well, if you say A, you also have to say B, yeah? and then you have to say, okay, let's equip ourselves with all the available tools that are there, uh, and then you need, you badly need uh, political economy analysis. That should be the principle. But how you do it, of course, you can discuss it. If you prefer to change the modalities, uh, test it out now. If you want to work less or more with the external concerns, that's not the essence. The essence is that the delegations can really have the tools to properly read a rapidly evolving political situation to de detect where there is traction in a society, what are the real actors of change, and that they can then tailor their cooperation accordingly. That's political economy analysis all about, and there are other tools that can help with this. You really need this. Uh, how you do it, that's another debate, and there, that's, that's question of modalities. But the worst would be for European cooperation credibility is that you go very far in the political road in terms of policy discourse, and that you remain under-equipped in terms of instruments. That would be a recipe for failure. And uh, to conclude maybe with the example of the recent uh, auditor report, uh, Code of Auditor report on Egypt, uh, which uh, uh, concluded uh, with a methodology that one could discuss, uh, but uh, concluded that uh, most of the European support was not useful, uh, and especially in, in terms of governance and human rights. Uh, and uh, that we should have done much more with available resources. That remains to be seen. Uh, you can have a lot of arguments about the methodology used to arrive at these conclusions, but it shows again that you are very vulnerable to this kind of uh, criticisms and evaluations if you cannot show that you have really tried to inject resources into an arena, political arena, that you really know as far as possible. And uh, it can help even the Commission to protect itself against this kind of accusations that uh, everything has been ineffective and the leverage was not used. A political analysis is also very sobering in terms of telling you, but don't expect change in five years. The, the, the forces that are there in front of you are very huge, so uh, uh, even with a, a, a substantial amount of aid, you will not arrive at the change. I mean, this is also an advantage of political economy analysis and that it can protect you against unrealistic expectations, both from the Commission itself, uh, but they know and they, they try to minimize their own expectations because they know it's so difficult, but especially from external stakeholders who come with eyes and sometimes with beliefs that reform is something you can buy, that you can quickly get results. No, let's forget it. It's not possible. So political economy analysis is also a very good way to be much more realistic on what an external actor, including a big one, with good people on the ground, with good instruments, with good policies, can achieve. So it's also in the interest of the uh, European Union to uh, uh, almost in a <laughs> to protect itself to mainstream this use of this, this kind of instruments. But again, how you do it, let's discuss it, can always be improved here at the beginning of the story. Yeah? In this clip, ECDPM's Head of Strategy, Jean Bessoit, discusses the other forms of analysis that could respond to the growing needs of the delegations. If they didn't do political economy analysis anymore, is there anything that could replace it? That's a very good question. Eh? So, because uh, the communication now of the management of the Commission is not fully clear what will happen with the PEA as it was developed uh, three years ago. But that, of course, does not mean that other forms of analysis uh, cannot also uh, partly uh, respond to the growing needs of EU delegations 
And that's, of course, the good news. Eh? As I said, uh, it should not be a war between believers and non-believers. Eh? Modalities you can discuss, there are other tools. Uh, I remain convinced that this tool has a number of advantages, especially the link with the economy, the political economy factors. But there are other tools that are there since a long time that remain valid. Eh? For instance, uh, you have the purely governance analysis tools, which look at governance, which focus then really on the issue of governance and accountability. So it's more a political analysis. It is there. The European Commission has developed a reference document even on how to do this, analyzing and addressing governance in sectors. That's a reference document. Um, so uh, another example of an uh, alternative uh, uh, complementary tool is the mappings of civil society actors. The Commission has a long tradition of doing mappings. Uh, of civil society actors and the current mappings are of the second generation and they are political mappings. So in fact they try to see not only who is there, who are the actors, but to see how these actors relate uh, relate with uh, the government. So these kind of tools, uh, they don't call them political economy analysis tools, but more and more they also uh, open up that political box, try to understand how these arenas work of uh, civil society actors working with government, trying to get accountability, trying to get a seat in public policy processes. So also these mappings can help the delegations a lot to understand, for instance, in a sector of education, how can we get change here, what role can civil society play. So this is another tool. Then you also have, of course, the um, conflict analysis uh, tool that is also being developed by ABAS because they realize that if you are in a conflict situation, you have to do the same kind of deep analysis. And eh? you cannot just uh, take a couple of international reports and say, that's it. Uh, everything is moving all the time. So if you want to be a relevant player, you have to uh, understand always better what are the different elements that can drive or stop conflict. So conflict analysis is one of these other tools that the Commission is developing, but they all go in the same direction. I think that's the bottom line for me. If you want to be relevant development players, uh, we cannot longer simply say, okay, there is a national plan, there are reforms, the commitment of the government is formally there. That's not longer enough. Uh, you really have to better understand what drives change, the actors behind it, the interest. And then you have a diversity of tools that are interesting. And uh, now uh, to give another example of another tool, as you know, the new budget support guidelines. Uh, if uh, a country wants to have general budget support, now. Uh, be converted into good governance contracts, eh? uh, then of course there will be an eligibility test and to see whether or not democracy, human rights uh, are okay in these countries because it's seen that you cannot provide this kind of budget support if there is not a good performance on these fundamental elements of democracy, governance, human rights. This has to be assessed. Uh, I mean, you cannot just simply say yes or no, eh? so it has to be methodologically assessed. So delegations and the Commission will have to take informed decision. Well, there are also tools being developed now to do this, but that's of course also very tricky. Eh? One is a democracy moving, one is it not moving, what is the speed of reform, uh, uh, what is good progress, what is limited progress. Uh, we are of course not in a rocket science world, eh? but you can also not just do it intuitively. So there also you need to find the right tools. I think uh, for me the, the essence is that all these tools indicate that the development sector is trying, also the Commission, and it should be applauded for this, is trying to better manage that political dimension. And so it was encouraging to see three years ago that we have these different tools, including political economy analysis, being given an institutional space and a chance to develop. 
So we can only hope that uh, this, this, this movement will continue. Eh? With the diversity of tools and that they can use in different contexts, uh, none of them is a panacea, none of them is the Bible, but all of them can contribute something uh, according to the situation in which you are. And uh, it's good that delegations have this mix of instruments out of which they can choose. But the essence is always the same. If you don't have a better understanding of the arena, of the actors, of the interest of the power, then the chances that you will uh, spend your European tax money wisely are, are, are limited. And we all know this, and the delegations know it. So it's a common challenge to find the most relevant, suitable uh, tools. But they will always uh, imply a risk. They will always imply uh, a, a political uh, leadership of the Commission, and that was visible in the political economy analysis we did in Senegal. The study would never have achieved anything if there was not a full-fledged political leadership of the delegation there to say we have, we need this, we go for it, we try to have the member states on board, we try to have even the Senegalese actors on board, because this is, this is the kind of navigation roadmap that we need to better understand the very dynamics in the belly of a given society. And this can only be of help to anyone to, to find a way and to make sure that money is used properly, because at the end of the day, that's why we are in the development sector. Eh? Uh, so uh, let's give us the tools of the trade in a more and more political uh, cooperation, uh, and rightly so. Uh, but let's recognize that it will be always an uphill uh, struggle, and that uh, stock taking and experimental and learning, joint learning, will always be important. And we will see where we stand in 10 years' time, but I'm quite convinced that uh, we will have advanced uh, in, in that direction. And that's also the conclusion, by the way, of Carotus. He said, don't expect a revolution. Politics will always remain a difficult element to integrate in cooperation and aid. But we have uh, already done uh, quite a way. Uh, we have done uh, quite a. Uh, um, we have already done part of the journey, uh, and the next steps will also not be easy. But let's go for it. There are a growing number of constituencies who see the need for this, so uh, uh, let's let's seize the opportunities that uh, will open up in the next years to to go ahead along that route, without ever thinking that it will be simple uh, on the country. But it's the way forward, and uh, we believe also in our foundation. That was Jean Bessot, Head of Strategy, talking about political economy analysis. Thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts, leave your comment below. If you would like to hear more from ECDPM, sign up to our weekly newsletter, The Weekly Compass, or our monthly magazine, Great Insights. Go to www.ecdpm.org slash subscribe.